There are two things that are a big danger for you when you're investing in bond. One is your reinvestment risk. And two, couple with that is being seduced by yield. Yes, on the short end for T-bills, I am getting great rates. But I also understand I want to skate where the puck is going. And based on demographics, based on economic growth, based on the debt we've taken on this country, rates can only go so far. So why wouldn't I barbell this strategy? Why wouldn't I have money on the short end, but also put some more money on the intermediate and long end of the curve? Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal, the full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show, presented by RIA Advisors. And like the Doubleman twins, two, two, two for one. You're going to get two hours of Financial Fitness Friday. As we fill in for Chris Salcedo here in Houston, and uh, for one hour. So we hope you stick with us. Send us your questions. We have, again, personal finance questions. We have no idea on what shampoo to use on your dog. Oh, well, we might. I think, John, we probably do. We can probably talk about that if we need to. Listen, send us any question you want. How to clean grout in the toilet. We'll help you with anything you need. Pulling weeds, backyard. Pulling weeds. Laying some mulch. We are, uh, we're here for everything. You know, as a financial advisor, you sort of are everything. I mean, we talk to clients. (laughs) Clients talk to us about everything. You get such a unique perspective and stories. The reason I went into this business with the stories, I have to tell you, because I've always was fascinated, John, by how people learned about money, made their money, thought about money, their decisions, but how, you know... uh, Working with families here in Texas, especially that have been here over 150 years, like how their families got here. And, you know, it's like it's like 1883, right out of people's mouths. I love the stories. Funny, one client I'm working with is uh, working on a script um, out of Stanton, Texas, Hmm. and she is from Stanton, Texas. And we talk about having a burger there at the grill on the corner. Uh, It's a part, a drugstore and grill, but it's just... Her family grew up there and had farmland. And I just love these stories. You know, Texas is full of stories of <clears throat> how people made it, got here. I don't know. There's a spirit uh, that is amazing to me. Yeah. <clears throat> so isn't it fun? Like, I think that the greatest part of helping people with their money is listening to their stories and how they got here and what they think about money. Yeah, just how they want to you know, leave a legacy for their children or family, or if maybe they don't have kids or, you know, maybe there's charitable intentions or philanthropic and what they believe in and what's important to them. And, you know, there's, I I agree too, Rich. I, excuse me. um, I really, you know, the, the part of this business I really enjoy the most. And it's always fun talking about stocks and bonds and all, you know, all that stuff, you know, but it's, it's really about the people and their stories and their families and their livelihood. There's, there's so much more, behind that number that's on the account statement. Oh man, I'll tell you, I mean, the stocks and bonds, I tell people, listen, if you're if you're a financial advisor, and especially a fiduciary, and you only wanna talk about stocks and bonds, and you're like, you wanna get into this business, you're, you're talking about one layer of a seven layer cake. That's right. And that's it. And it's probably even not even the best layer, it's probably the more stale layer. Sorry, Lance. <coughs> Those charts, boring. Um, but um, so, <laughs> that's why Lance and I were a good combination. 
uh, because he was, uh, oh, it's about financial planning. That's what I listen to before I go to sleep at night. I sleep like a baby. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, I get it. I get it. Stocks are more exciting, but investments are more exciting. So speaking about exciting, you know, uh, stock market is definitely Wall Street heading for a losing week this week. Dow futures down 122 points. S&P futures 24. Uh, again, uh, Lance has been talking about this. This is a con- this is a healthy consolidation. Uh, we just got we went way too far, too fast. Uh, the Fed has been really good at putting a kibosh on it. Listen, if you think the Fed's going to be cutting rates by the end of the year, I got a bridge to sell you somewhere in Brooklyn, and it's it it just doesn't make sense to me, John, that the Fed would go ahead and cut rates. And matter of fact, the stance that Powell has, not only is his legacy on the line, his stance of, listen, we might have two more rate hikes. You look at core PCE, you look at Atlanta Fed sticky price inflation, this level of inflation is stubborn. Okay, we, we blew off the supply chain inflation mm-hmm. pretty quickly. But to get now where we are to 2% is going to take a lot of work. So all this, you know, bucolic talk of, you know, soft landings and other things. Listen, maybe I don't buy it. So I think that um, the Fed's not done. Uh, but listen, your guess is as good as mine. Coming out of this pandemic, there are a lot of unusual behaviors. There are a lot of unusual metrics. Who knows how messed up we are in the brain? being locked up for two years. It, it's coming out in consumer spending, right? I got to, listen, I might get, I talked to someone the other day. I said, listen, I don't know if you really can afford this vacation. It's not a client, a friend of mine. I'm like, you're, you're spending how much on a what? Mm-hmm. He goes, listen, you know what? We got locked up for two years and I don't, I'm not, you know, I, I'll make it work because he feels secure in his job. So, you know, I think people got a little rewired being yeah. locked up for a couple of years. I see more folks now, or talk to more folks now, that they're taking kind of the the lifetime trip that they've been that they've been pushing off for years, mm-hmm. and they're just at the point where they're just we're just going to bite the bullet and do it. You know, yeah, I, I've seen because that because they too. might say we may never get to do it. Yeah, and and again, some people can afford it, and they've postponed mm-hmm. it, and that's fine. But then there are people like, wait a minute, maybe you need to like step back. Yeah, step back. Maybe don't go to Italy. Maybe go to Italy, Texas. That might be just as fun. <laughs> Brent disagrees. Paris, I'm sure Texas. most of you probably disagree, but there is an Italy, Texas. There is. I pass the sign all the time. When Amy goes, I want to go to Italy, I send her that sign. <laughs> no, I, I really do want to go to Italy, too. But, yeah, I mean, listen, it's in your plan, in your budget. You know, yeah, enjoy sure. yourself. But, um, again, it's, it's that kind of thing. So this is a slow-grinding kind of economic stagnation, right? I, I call it muck nation. You know, it's not, it's like stagnation light. It's, it's sort of like trudging through the mud in your boots, right? I'm still moving, you know, but it's just tougher. Um, I got a job, but my wages aren't really keeping up with inflation, even at this rate. Um, yeah, and I have companies that will start to cut back. The system is, liquidity is draining out of the system. It's taking longer to do so. So you do have to understand that all this AI romance that we have um, <clears throat> is fine, but you got to make sure you're managing your risk. Yeah, the AI does kind of seem to be the theme of the day lately, doesn't it? Ooh, good. You know, 
I remember when we were working together mm-hmm. during the internet bubble, right? Oh, yeah. And we would roll our eyes every day. Oh, yeah, Pets.com with the puppet. Hi, everybody. <clears throat> yeah, you know, I mean, the puppet was the best part of that thing. The dog puppet on Pets.com, I think it was, wasn't Those it? Those are the good old <clears throat> days right there. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Toys.com. If you mm-hmm. added a dot .com, I, I had a friend of mine at that point. He was like, listen, you know how I'm dating? What? He goes, I just <laughs> add .com to my name. <laughs> uh, it's It's working. It's working. So now AI, he can create a whole new wife. Um, so the thing is, the story took a little bit longer to, to move, get through the system. Um, you know, we, information was moving at that point, but nowhere near at the speed it is today. Mm, agree. So this AI thing just caught up. And I'm like, listen, AI has been out there. My daughter's doing a project on quantum computing, right? Um, this has been out there for a long time, mm-hmm. folks. And eventually, AI goes the way of the radio. And what I mean by that is the system, everybody gets used to it. And it's not the sexy thing anymore. It's just part of our lives. And you're still wrapped up in the beauty of it and the, of that kind of thing. And you're not managing risk. And all of a sudden, your stocks drop by half. We gap. We're going to talk about the Sirac and why we could retire at 55. You can't drive 55. Do not drive 55 in Texas. Not here. Ooh. I don't even think you can drive 85 here anymore. 105. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be glad. The Real Investment Show. So again, the second hour, we're going to be taking a lot of your questions on personal finance, money in general, any, heck, anything you want. We're getting all kinds of great suggestions on Cat Litter on YouTube channel. So turn into our, tune into our YouTube channel. John goes, my neighbor's dog hates people. One grumpy mutt. I like your dog. <laughs> <laughs> you know what would be a good name for a dog like that's Grumpy? Otto. In case you haven't missed my, uh, the Otto movie with Tom Hanks was actually pretty good. Uh, my man, Otto. So instead of this 55, we should be calling it, don't be a sloth, invest in Roth. See, Ooh, I like that. I don't, know why, I don't know why Brent's not using me for this stuff, but <clears throat> we are big, big, big fans of Roth. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Roth is <clears throat> a way for you to invest after tax and then pull the funds out tax-free. And I will tell you all this talk about Oh, the Roth is going away, and we got to worry about Roth. Well, maybe, but in the latest Secure Act, boy, Roth is really featured, mm-hmm. right? So, and I call Roth the J.G. Wentworth because the government needs money now. So, <clears throat> it's a great tool. Oh my God. Mm, man, and things are tough around here today. It's Friday morning. It's no, Houston. I don't know what it is. It's humid. A little coffee on the pipe. I saw the It'll heat. Make it better. I saw the heat rising from my the hood of my car just parked there today. That's what I ate for yeah. breakfast on the way in. Heat. The heat. This is so thick. I just was like, oh, this will. I'm going to take a slice of humidity. <laughs> I'll take that with my coffee. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny, John. But but overall, keep in mind that. When you think you're going to retire into the lowest tax bracket, that also might be a dream. 
because you have to look at stealth taxes, IRMA surcharges, taxation of Social Security benefits, right? And that Roth does not require RMDs during an owner's lifetime, unlike qualified plans, right? It's easy mm -hmm. to see where the Roth advantage is. But years ago, we'd be like, well, you know, yeah, why would you do that? Pre-tax accounts are the best thing in the world. They're not. If I could do it all over again, John, I would tell you what I would do. I would not put a penny in pre-tax funds. Yeah. I do not care what my tax bracket was. When young people come in, I tell them Roth 401k. Absolutely. There are studies out there that show you, even if you're going to be in the 15% tax bracket, Roth still works. It's just not talked about. Wall Street does not like Roth for some reason. But they do love pre-tax. And your accountant loves pre-tax. In all fairness, your accountant is trying to save you taxes today. We also have to worry about your taxes tomorrow. We have to worry about your retirement income and your taxation, but most importantly, the surcharges and what I call the back pocket taxes of Social Security. You know, most people do not realize Social Security is taxed. Yeah, either what, 50, mm -hmm. depending on your income, it's taxed either what, 50% or 85%. Or 85%. Yeah. Right. So Roth can be fine. Now, also Roth has become, since the Secure Act, a much more of an incredible legacy tool, especially for non spousal beneficiaries. So my daughter is my beneficiary. Mm -hmm. um, children or even friend, whoever is going to inherit your IRA outside of your spouse, <clears throat> even if they're in the lowest tax bracket, do you realize when they inherit your pre-tax account, they have to take that money out over 10 years? They don't have to take it out over their, they used to be able to take it out over their life expectancy. But now it's over 10 years. And if you, if you had passed away while you were taking required minimum distributions, they have to take them too. Now, you know, John, it's still unclear though, because the IRS is still, I thought they'd be back to us by now, but what do I know? I thought so too, honestly, and we're halfway through the year. That we don't really know if, say, you know, you, your dad had an IRA. You inherited that IRA, but he was to IRA, but he was taking required minimum distributions. Generally speaking, you should be taking those, but the IRS has been going back and forth, back and forth on this issue. I would just assume that that's probably going to be the case, but we don't know. Yeah, but, but at the end know. of the day, it's still, if, you're, if you inherit that IRA, whether it's traditional or Roth, more about mm -hmm. the Roth in a moment, you know, whether you, you what that ruling is, if, if you inherit that pre-tax or that IRA as a non-spouse beneficiary, by the end of the 10th year, that money has to come out. Has to come out. Has to come out. And that could, depending on the, what that size is, that could be massive. And then you're being pushed and, into that tax bracket and, right there. Regardless. So regardless. if your children are in a lower tax bracket, you're going to push them into a higher one. So Roth, from a legacy perspective, along, I think, with permanent life insurance has become much more valuable in the eyes of what we're seeing. Now, Unless you think taxes are going down in the future. <laughs> I'm sorry. That always makes me laugh when I say it. I have one person out of like 100 I ask. Oh, yeah, no. Taxes are going lower. They are? What planet are you, what planet are you, moving, to move, you moving to the moon? Where are you going based on the debt we're taking on? They tax you there, mm -hmm. too. Even if you move to the moon, they'll figure out yeah, a way. Yeah, they have that cheese tax, don't they? <laughs> well, the tax on the moon is only one-sixth. <laughs> yeah. 
And it would still be higher. I was going to say something about taxes on Uranus, but we're not going there. <clears throat> oh, I think we did. <laughs> um, <laughs> Brent's like, oh, God. When did I get the two of the three? Two hours, folks. Two hours. Remember, we'll stick with two us. Two hours. Chris Salcedo will be calling everybody going, do never listen to that show again when I'm out. <laughs> so the thing is, and, and Donald says, I like Roth also. It is less hassle. It is less hassle. I'd rather pay the taxes now while I'm a human capital earnings machine as opposed to when I am retired and I am no longer and I want every dollar to work with for me. That's what I want. And again, in some cases, it may not work. In many cases, if you have a good financial advisor who's going to run the numbers for you and show you that, hey, I have all this money in my pre-tax account, that is a ticking tax time bomb. Because, yeah, oh, well, the government went ahead and said, listen, you know, you can go ahead and extend your uh, required minimum distributions age 72 and then they'll slowly creep up to 75 well you're just creating a bigger time bomb for me mm -hmm. right so we usually suggest when people start retiring and say they're in their 60s you take your money from your ira first for your withdrawal don't let that tax deferral sit there start pricking that bubble pull the money Pull a little bit more than, you, than what you need and put it in an after-tax account or convert it to Roth. Because when I retire, say I want to retire on a farm. Do I want to retire on a farm with one animal or do I want a lot of animals or a lot of different seeds that I'm planting? I want what I call diversification of accounts. I don't want all my money in pre-tax and I have zero tax control. But that is what... Wall Street predict tells you that is what your brokerage advisor tells you that is what your accountant tells you and it's wrong you got to think unconventional here because I you understand taxation on Social Security you understand surcharges or IRMA charges on your Medicare premiums so I could be in the lowest tax bracket but once I consider the 50 cents and 85 cents on the dollar we show clients and people that, that we work with, you're not in the lowest tax bracket yeah. at all. Some, and, and, no, I didn't. Uh, you, know, some, you know, something else, too. You, and folks, hey, you've been great savers. You've been putting money aside, and you've built up that pre-tax account. Now you move it to your IRA. But, you know, even for things that maybe you, don't, you haven't thought about yet in retirement, buying vehicles, paying your property taxes. I mean, I can't tell you how many folks I visit with where all of their money, all of it mm -hmm. is in that IRA. And so if they ever need anything, right, John? It's they need all to... taxed. All of it. Right? Zero, zero flexibility. And you got to remember, you're going to get hit by the tax torpedo. That's the sharp rise and then sharp fall in middle class income households, the, the marginal tax rates, as their income rises. So you get hit by this torpedo and then it levels out. You got to find ways to minimize that torpedo hit. One way to do that is Roth conversion. So we will have clients that we run numbers and we show, listen, in the short term, this looks painful as heck. This looks painful. You're going to do these five, six-figure Roth conversions when you retire. Um, and you're going to have to pay the taxes now. 
and your tax bracket's going to look horrendous. But then look out over your life expectancy and your spouse's life expectancy, and you would be surprised how much you're saving in taxes. I mean, I ran a report yesterday, John, mm-hmm. $300,000 in lifetime savings mm-hmm. by taking a hit today because of Social Security and, most importantly, IRMA. And don't forget, we are going, gonna, we are going to see the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act sunset. That is going away. I'm sorry. Whoever is president, based on the debt we've taken on and all the stimulus, there's just no way in heck. So those marginal rates are going to squeeze down, which makes now, through the end of 2025, a very good time for Roth conversion. Now, we'll tell you, there are people that have been on this for a long time. I've worked with people that have said, listen, I didn't want all my money in pre-tax accounts. I've got brokerage. I've got after-tax. And it works. Mm-hmm. So when I need to take money out, I could take a, I could bit, take a bit from each, and I do not budge my marginal tax rate. That's what you want. That's what you want. We get back. We're going to talk about don't drive 55 or whatever the heck it is. What is it, John? Is it 105 in Texas? (laughs) Seems to be. How do you retire at 55? I don't know. That's a miracle to me. Who wants to retire at 55? We'll be right back. The Real Investment Show. Uh, welcome back. Everybody thinks that that's me on that ad. Why, Rick? I never. But that's Erica. She worked for us. That's pretty good, though. <laughs> I do believe I missed that candy coffee. I think I sound like Flo from <laughs> Alice. <laughs> I used to love Flo from the Alice show. Kiss my grits. There's not enough flows in the world right now, is there? There's not enough. Uh, yeah. No, we need a little bit more of Kiss My Grits. <laughs> we need to bring that back. Kiss My Grits. You know, just. And for those of you that are offended by it, kiss my plant-based burger or whatever the heck you're eating. Um, so, you know, on the YouTube channel about Roth conversions, yeah. It's why just bite the bullet and do it. Yeah, I would do it. Um, you know, it's, it's important to think about. Um, when you're looking at Roth, I have some clients that have gone full out Roth, like over the last five years, they have drained John, their IRAs <laughs> to Roth. We run the numbers every year and we pull the money and they have this huge bucket of money in Roth. And it make, I just look at it and I go, <laughs> I feel so good about that. Right, because part of it is also their legacy intent to their children. That's what I really see as a common theme. Where, uh, especially uh, with with moms and dads, they're they're ready to maybe look at this so they can they say, "Hey, I don't mind. I'm going to just pay the taxes now, so my so my kids don't have to." That's what that's just right because of the changes Mm -hmm. to a non-spousal inherited IRAs. Mm -hmm. We got a lot of great comments on retiring, so we're going to use that for the fourth segment. We talk about retiring at 55. So interestingly enough, uh, Smart Asset did a study about where high net worth uh, people are moving. Now, again, uh, don't California my Texas, but 
<laughs> right? Two, they're looking at households that are making 200000 annually, um, and they're saying, hey, where are people moving? Well, obviously, we know Sunbelt states, the most migration, uh, starting with Florida, obviously, Texas, Texas, Florida, Texas, Tennessee, Nevada. I mean, Nashville is crazy. <clears throat> I've always loved Nashville uh, for decades. I've gone to Nashville. I used to work um, for a well-known country music star down there for a while. And um, Nashville at a time in Hendersonville, so beautiful and quiet. But um, it's crazy. It's crazy now. But people have discovered these states. So, um, and I just think, you know, I think, John, this is going to continue. I think so, too. I mean, there's, you know, you were talking earlier about, mm-hmm. you know, the relationships and why, you, you know, really be got involved in this business. And I think we're, we're very fortunate that, you know, a lot of the folks that we serve, individuals and families that we serve, they, we work with a lot of folks that live out of Texas too. Right. We do. And there's a number of folks that I visit with that are up in that upper East coast area. Hey, I'm from, I'm from Pennsylvania. Originally I'm from up in that, in that area. It's a beautiful country up there, but there's a lot of folks that I'm visiting with. That, must have overheated those Amish women. Hey, oh now. my lord! Look at that John Penn. Woo! That was many years ago, folks. Just saying. <laughs> I need to hang out with you more. God, I always feel so much better about myself. This is so good. But uh, but a lot of folks that are up there in that New York, New Jersey area right now. Yeah. There's been a common theme where they're wanting to maybe move it's out of state and maybe come down here. Come on down yonder. Purposes. It's so much easier, right? You want to manage your cash flow, paying state, local taxes. It's crazy. <clears throat> and these t- a lot of states are losing their tax bases as they move mm-hmm. to other states. But, you know, you look at real estate values in Florida, they're not, I mean, they're, they're a problem now. I mean, Florida is not as affordable as it was at one point. And that's going to continue to happen. But <clears throat> it, I just think this migration... I have talked to clients, so many of their children who said, who are living up north, uh, they're living in Chicago, mm-hmm. and they're like, we're moving. We're, we're just picking up. We're going. Yeah, and we're, gonna, we're just going to make it work. And there's a lot of things you have to take a look at. I mean, you know, I know Texas doesn't have a state income tax, but depending on where you live in the state, you have to look at what your property taxes will be, too. So, Absolutely. I mean, I mean, there's, it's, it's, you got to, at the bottom, at the end of the day, you got to look at the numbers and, you know, look at all that. But I mean, you do. Yeah. You do. And, and again, you know, a good financial advisor will show you here's the impact to your plan mm-hmm. by you moving from one state to another. I want to buy a house, I want to sell my house here and move here. What's the overall, I've, I have seen success scenarios tilt much higher with a move for those who are willing to do it. <clears throat> Yeah. So that's interesting to see when the, when you actually see the numbers prove it. Yeah, I think it's and sometimes there's a consideration of well, should I should I split time? Maybe spend you know half the year here and maybe spend half of the year in a in a warmer state or or somewhere else. Or does it make sense to keep my property here? Should I sell it? Should I rent it out? What's great is you can really run all those scenarios and see if there's one certain recipe that provides that overall that better probability of success, right? And it's different for everybody. Um, but it, but all definitely worth looking at for sure. Well, especially with remote work, mm-hmm. seeing a lot of younger people, although, I mean, I think remote work, people are getting a little tired of it. Actually, I talked to a lot of people who are working remotely and they're like, you know, we don't like it. <right. <laughs> it was fun when everybody was home. <laughs> yeah, there's something about... But now it's, 
where is everybody? Yes, there's something about being at the office or being at that facility and having those face-to-face interactions and having that sense of camaraderie again. Yeah, even if it's a couple of days or two, three days a week, I think it's important because one of the rules we or tenants we we share for retirees is stay, remain social. You could get locked away and not be social at all, especially men. So I think getting out there does help. But I think it's a nice balance. If you have a hybrid schedule, <clears throat> you can do that. And it and it works. I know a lot of Gen Zs, though. They don't want to come to the office. Baby boomers are annoying. <laughs> Millennials <laughs> poof on you. <clears throat> I don't get up until mid-morning. Mid <clears throat> so I'm working at 2 o'clock in the morning. You all asleep, you old people. It just depends on your workforce. Here's something. Hey, I find myself wanting to go to bed early and earlier every I was like nine thirty, ten o'clock. It's like whoo, nine thirty. You're a, you're like Charlie Sheen, <laughs> <laughs> or somebody else. I'm thinking of. Yeah. I'm not gonna say nine o'clock is the new midnight. It is. It's like man, it feels like it's two o'clock in the morning. What time yeah, I was is it? up until nine thirty last night. Going wow, it's nine fifteen. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm usually in, I'm usually like tucking it all in by 8:30. Yeah, but what time are you getting up though in the morning? 3:30. There you go. Four o'clock. Mm-hmm. But um, but it's it's strange like winding down and the sun's still out. Like something I got to walk out in the yard and go. Wait, there's life out here. You burn your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's why I'm not a big fan of this time change. I like it light in the morning. I like the light in the morning. I don't like the dark in the morning. How about you, Brent? I, I <laughs> completely agree. That's just, I don't know. I, I can go to bed when it's daylight because I'm sleeping the sleep of exhaustion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brent's just passing out. <laughs> well, Brent, I mean, what time are you up in the morning? The, the first alarm goes first alarm. first alarm that's that's the warning there's right there there's a five alarm system yeah there. the first alarm goes off at 3 mm-hmm. followed by the 315 what about the four legged one the 325 but the four legged oh one. she hits me about 130 between 130 <laughs> and 2 yeah <laughs> oh man if you you want to come back you want to be Brent's dog i'm just telling <laughs> the dog eventually runs the household and knows it. And, and knows it and is very content with it. It's all over her face. I own these two. That's how it is. I mean, it's all about the fur babies with it us. Is. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's their house. We live there. We take care of them and clean up everything. And we have plenty of four-legged alarms that yeah. get us up at all sorts of times that in the morning. Eventually, I'm going to own a dog that wants to sleep in. Yeah. If you just, mm-hmm. And I'm talking about like seven in the morning. You know, because even like Amy's up because she works at Channel 2, but she's, you know, she's up at 2.30. And I'm getting texts that, you know, Lance, I don't know. I don't know if Lance, I don't know if anybody really sleeps on this, in, on this team. Nobody here sleeps. Nah, it's no, it's overrated. No. Uh, it's, you know, it is what it is. And sleep is healthy for you, by the way. But I do know getting up early is, there's a lot of benefits to getting up early. There's all of these studies that talk about even the time change to where it is light in the morning is better for you than late at night. But I we get more stuff done by nine in the morning than most people do all day. It is amazing I agree. how much you can get done in mm-hmm. the morning. I, I have always been that way since I'm a kid, and it's served me well my whole life. You are 
just getting so much done. And uh, it gives you a lot of flexibility during the day when you're able to do that. Overall, it does help. But by nine, 10 o'clock, you want lunch. No, 9 o'clock, you want lunch. Well, in Brent's case, 7 o'clock, you want lunch. Well, you've already been up for, what, half the day at that point for him. Heck yeah, yeah it's time for lunch. The deli downstairs opens at 7, so. Yeah, you know, right. They're, they're, I'll be there. Yeah, convenient. So um, we've got uh, a few earnings coming out this summer. We, uh, Darden came out yesterday. Uh, you know what's funny about Darden? Uh, Darden is Olive Garden. It's a sort of a middle, lower end range of things, right, of dining experience. But they bought uh, Ruth Chris. Mm-hmm. Saw that. And I don't get the purchase. I, 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 I think, to me, you have... Look at, look at how many now people that are making six figures or so, there was a whole the, look at the reports from Dollar General and Dollar Tree. How many people with six figures are now shopping at dollar stores? So dollar stores are trying to accommodate that group, right? Walmart shows that also the same thing. So I still think there is like the middle of America, the wedge of incomes will eat in an olive garden over Ruth Chris. So, I'm, I, you know, I just think buying a high-end chain going into a slowdown doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And their numbers reflect that, that the higher ends is not bringing in the money as much as it was. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, have you looked at what a state costs lately? <laughs> yeah, just, just saying. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, but companies are going to have to try, and they are, some to their own detriment, but they're, gonna, they're trying to reinvent themselves through this period where you're fighting for every dollar and it's always that way. But as inflation stays sticky, it's even more important. When we get back, we're gonna talk about the retire 55. Got a lot of insight from our YouTube channel on retirement because it's different for everybody. It's, it's a mosaic. We'll get back. The Real Investment Show. Well, I usually would say this is our last segment, but this is a special two-hour edition of Financial Fitness Friday. We'll be taking questions in the second hour, filling in for Chris Salcedo here in Houston. Hope Chris is getting a nice rest. 281-558-KSED-5738. Those last four digits. Or YouTube, send us a question. Personal finance, anything you want to ask we are here to address it. If not, we'll just continue the conversation. So in my book in 2012, Random Thoughts of a Money Muse, I talked about how retirement's gonna have to look different for everybody. So there's this guy, John, Terry Lantrip. In 2018, he took a one-acre investment property in North Texas, and he turned it into a tiny home village. 13 lots that cost renters bring their own homes $700 a month. So they have common areas like the, the garden, the fire pit, the laundry room. Um, so he purchases in uh, Lake Dallas, 7,000 people. 
and just the mom and pop investors seeing the signs of what retirement might look like, mm-hmm. especially for people who are going to retire early that may really need to cut their fixed expenses. Um, so retirement is a different story for everybody at 55. Yes, you're able to maybe withdraw from your IRAs, move money. There are certain things you're able to do in 401ks at age 55. It's some magical number. But more important than that is what does retirement look like to you? If you watch commercials on financial media, it's all about your magic number. Yeah, what's your number? Uh And your number better be seven or eight figures. That's not going to be possible for the majority of Americans. We work with people. You would be surprised by how much they have in retirement savings, but yet I see them having very enriching retirements. It's not perfect. Nothing ever is. They might work a part-time job they love. Someone on YouTube just said that. Listen, I would like to retire, but maybe work part-time at a place. Everybody knows Bucky's is my place, right? That's my place. I love, would love to have a change of scenery sometimes. Um, but people are doing that. They're working a little bit longer in part-time jobs. They are waiting to take Social Security at 70 to get a bigger paycheck. So they're filling it in. But they are cutting their expenses and they're understanding that the big house and all the stuff is more of a hindrance than anything else. And it's nice to see baby boomers take on that kind of mentality when when we were growing up, it was all about, oh, you got to have the big house and all the stuff. Now, as I get older and I look at my daughter and, and how small she lives and she's happy with it. I just think that's a somewhat of a good lesson you're going to get from younger generations that you don't need all of this stuff and your kids don't want your stuff. Hmm. When you go to an antique store, that's all the stuff you use up to your kids. So quick story on that. There's a gentleman that I've worked with for a long time and um, their house is their everything poured everything into their home. They love, yeah. Love, right? And they have a beautiful home. Sure. And the, the goal is this whole time to pass it on to their children, pass it on to their children. We're going to leave it to our family. We're going to leave it to our family. So uh, had lunch with this particular gentleman and his oldest son. Uh-huh. Met the son for the first time. So okay, just nice. Really great, great conversation meeting, meeting his kids. And uh, I'm sitting in between them at the table and uh, the father says, you know, at some stuck point. In stuck in the middle yeah, with stuck John. stuck in the middle with Steelers John. wheel. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, so he, he was like, I thought I'm going to, he basically told the son, hey, you know, at some point our house is going to be yours. And the son basically looked at him and said, <laughs> dad, I don't want it. I'm going to sell it. <laughs> oh, my God. Just like that. I mean, it was supposed to be this warm, <laughs> emotional. You, oh, my gosh. Thank you. This is wonderful. And yeah. I mean, didn't even skip a beat. I'm going to sell it. <laughs> And I was sitting in but between them, and I was like, "Well, this is awkward." Yeah, but you, but you know, that's the truth. Uh huh. Yeah. Because it's, it's just not the same. It's just not the same. Or they might use it as a rental, depending on the house. Mm-hmm. But I don't see this. I want the house now. Maybe if I'm if I'm off Dest, I'm in Destin, and I live off the water. I have a mountain place. Even then, I could say people may not want it, but. Your kids will maybe want it. They don't want your your house in the middle of Sugarland. They don't. 
just don't want it. They would look at it and go, cha-ching, cha-ching. They'd just see the cash from it because it's just something that they have to upkeep. You know, and Lance talks about this a lot, and we do too. A house is not an investment. A, a primary residence to me is not an investment. It's a lot of great things, and I, and I love having a house. Sure. I, I, but to tell you that you're going to make a lot of money in an investment compared to putting it into a, a great equity over time or an investment that you've researched, it's, it's just not. It's not the same rate of return uh, with all the stuff you got to put into it, right? Matter of fact, we have so many people that retire and decide, I'm renting. I'm, I'm out of this. Or they're buying smaller patio homes. You know, you're going to have to make big changes to retire at 55, especially if you don't have a health care component lined up as a bridge between then and Medicare. And I will tell you, insurance is going to be a problem for you. It is expensive. I think that's the biggest concern that folks have when they're considering maybe retiring at 55. And that looks so different for everybody, to your point, Rich. Or Mm -hmm. maybe I'm just not going to work my crazy hours that I'm working right now. Maybe I want to work a little bit less so maybe they can keep that health care plan. Right. Or if they do retire, most of the time it works when their previous employer allows them to keep that medical insurance plan maybe at, at roughly around the same premium mm-hmm. that they were paying before that can act as that bridge before they are eligible to transition to Medicare. It's when they have to go out there and shop for those private policies. Mm-hmm. That's when you see a problem. You do. That's why people sometimes stage early retirement. One party retires sooner and, and goes on to a spouse's insurance, right? So there are ways to do this. No retirement plan's perfect. It's right. perfect for you. I have one client did to retire at 56 and he did exactly what he bought a small house and he literally lives in the middle of nowhere. And I admire him every day. <laughs> he sends me a picture. Oh, look, there's an elk in the road. We can't go anywhere. Who cares? We can't go anywhere. And I'm like, I just love you. <laughs> this is how I want to live. How many people live in your town? Oh, 75. Uh, seems crowded <laughs> to me, but I still love you. Is there a Bucky's there? <laughs> you could drive to the Bucky's. But the point is, there's ways to do it, but you're going to sacrifice something to do it. You're going to have to live a lot more reasonable. And guess what? There are people who do. I have one client that all she does is she loves books. She loves to read. She, she works at the library. She, she, she goes to the you know, all secondhand bookstores. But that's, her, that's what brings her joy. And she collects Social Security. She works part-time. She has nowhere near the portfolios that probably most people have that are on listening to this show or on YouTube, but she's okay. Her retirement works for her. And what do you see as a common theme most of the time, Rich, when, when folks are able to make that transition, let's say at an earlier age? I mean, what I, what I see are mm-hmm. folks have done a great job where they have no debt. No debt. That is absolutely one of the components. They are great stewards of debt. And their right. living expenses, just their basic living expenses, what it costs to keep their lights on and food on the table and just live their life, it's very reasonable, right? Not egregious. And Yeah, but, they're not going out to fancy restaurants, you know. They're not doing the they don't find a lot of joy in that stuff. They rather cook at home at, like you said, but the no debt issue and accumulation of savings has been one thing. But they also take pleasure in the simple things. They don't need, they would rather probably go to Paris, Italy. Or, or you know, mm-hmm. I'm not Paris, Italy. I'm in mean, Paris, Texas. Italy, Texas. But Italy, Texas over Italy. I mean, they're just, 
they're finding joy in these things. Well, and but they're <clears throat> but they have a great life. I mean, they're still they do. They're out there. They have their hobbies and they have their interests. But it, uh, you know, another key point that I see that that helps folks transition into that retirement, whatever that looks like at a younger mm -hmm. age, is they have a sense of purpose. There's something that they're involved in, whether if it's yes. to your point, maybe it's working part time or. Maybe they volunteer or whatever they charity, that charity but for. they've got a, a yeah. group. There's a they have there's there's social. There's a social network that they're plugged into of some sort. Because how many times? I mean, I, there's been a number of times where folks they say, "Hey, okay, John, I'm going to retire." Hmm. And then in about a year, I get a phone call. I'm bored. I'm going back to work. In my book, I wrote this chapter about Luling, Texas. Started going to Luling when I first moved here and I fell in love with this town. And now everybody likes it, but. But the watermelon thump, which I'll be at this weekend, um, very simple. And I got a chance to talk to people, <clears throat> even though I say, who is this Yankee trying to talk to me? <laughs> you know, he's one of them. He's one of them. Um, so, and, and Luling has this uh, aroma. Would you say, Brent? Aroma? It's this. It's an aura. Uh, <laughs> from wells and mm -hmm. so forth. Yeah. So I'll never forget. So here's, I mean, I talk to a lot of people there to get their ideas of money. They look at me like I'm crazy. Like, what are you doing here? Um, you don't belong here. Um, go into and ask them about how did they retire and ask them questions. And I got some of the best lessons. But he goes, don't crinkle. One, one old cowboy walks out of Blake's Cafe, goes, don't be snuffing your nose at this smell. That's the smell of money. We get back. I have no idea what we're going to talk about, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there. But we'll be here. We'll be here. Now, it's The Real Investment Show, presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to Financial Fitness Friday. As we fill in an extra hour for Chris Salcedo here in Houston, 700 KCV, the voice of Texas, we're also taking your questions here. Brent, give us the phone number, 281-558-573. Or go to our YouTube channel. Yeah. Submit questions there Send if you want. Question. Something to talk about, topic on your mind. Topic on your mind, personal finance that's been on your brain. I know a lot of people do or spend some part of their weekend having money dates. I know it sounds boring, but you know, it is a good time to sit down sometimes during the way. I know a lot of people who do it on Sundays. They sit down, they go through their budget, they go through their statements, they figure out what they need to do, mm -hmm. how to plan for vacations. Nothing wrong with that. Usually I, from what I see, mm -hmm. especially when there's a couple that when they're kind of working on that together, both parties are involved in that process. And one's a little bit more in the weeds than the other, but they're both looking at their money decisions together uh -huh. and they have rules where they, you know, they say, you know, before we spend X, they kind of have a limit where they say, Hey, before we go make this major purchase, <laughs> we're going to talk about that first. Absolutely. Right. I mean, things like groceries or, you know, things that kind of run the house, you know, they kind of know what they're going to spend, but for kind of things that fall outside the boundaries, they have kind of a preset, Hey, before we make this decision, we're going to sit down as a couple and, we're going to talk about it. So we're both in agreement here, right? You definitely see with younger generations, Gen Zs, Gen Xs, both parties more engaged in the financial decision or 
involved, like with meetings, they come in, both of them. Mm-hmm. Baby boomers, it seems that there's one party that is the one that's handling things and one isn't. But that is absolutely changing. And I, John, I know you have daughters. I have a daughter. We want to see them engaged in the process overall. Absolutely. Uh, you know, um, you know, our oldest right now is in the process of you know, talking with uh, potential employers mm-hmm. and, you know, eventually here we'll be looking at, you know, benefit packages and retirement plans. And you were talking about the Roth earlier. Roth 401k. We're, we're talking about, <laughs> I'm telling you right now, mm-hmm. we will be talking about the Roth 401k. I mean, hands down and how that works and what that means longer term, right? Start, you know, getting, start planting those seeds. Absolutely. Early, right? Absolutely. You want to make sure that, um, your kids are engaged, and when they get married, they're engaged together in the process mm-hmm. of learning about money. You know, speaking of engaged, there's something that's really troubling. Um, Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk are going to have a cage match. I personally, I don't want to see both of them without their shirts on. <laughs> uh, but there's some part of me that Elon really just needs to take this dude to the mat. <laughs> I would be like, Elon! Just choke him out. <laughs> I mean... What's the, there's so many crazy, it's like we're living in the Babylon B. We, we, we no longer exist in the real universe. We're in the B-verse, right? We, when the B promotes something, it's like real news. It's, it's, Is it like Stranger Things? Is that what we're on a, right now? No, we are absolutely there. So they want to fight in a cage match. Uh, they're joking about it, but they're like, uh, I don't know if they're really joking. So is this, are we talking three-minute rounds here? I think we might be. Yeah. They're talking about the Vegas octagon. So you know, for our move called the walrus, we have some, one, <laughs> I have another name for it, but I don't want to bring up her name, uh, lays on top of an opponent and does nothing. So, <laughs> I, yeah. Man, I'm going to tell you what, I, you know, I've, I've never been in mixed martial arts i've never been in the octagon you know i've you never had the walrus on you maybe uh, during your honeymoon right i can't whoo that's a whole other show right there my friend but man three minutes in there yeah this what i'm about to say that isn't this isn't going to sound good either okay but but three yeah you know three minutes in the ring that three minutes lasts a long time i hope they're ready to go we know how that honeymoon went see there it is welcome to the second hour everybody it's a minute longer than i thought so um (laughs) <laughs> the walrus. I don't know. I mean, we are living in a parody, aren't we, Grant? You find that every day when you wake up? Like, what's the... It's like you can't make this stuff up. No, I mean, you know? I think I think it imploded the onion. Because I don't... I mean, I know the onion's out there, but yeah. I don't think the onion is as prominent as Babylon yeah. B overrode them. But I think the onion ran out of stuff that's sarcasm. It, I mean, it there's no... Mad Magazine look like a Mensa study guide. <laughs> mm. Well said. It really does. It really does. Where you go, sort of keep your sanity sometimes, outside of the whole ESG stuff that drives me crazy, um, is your finances, right? There are certain things you can control. You can control your finances. You can control how much money you save, how much debt you take on. But there are many reasons. There was a new Morningstar report issued recently about why do people, why do investors hire a financial advisor, Right? Um, some of it is they have really come to the realization that they are, have some discomfort handling their own issues. 
and they need help in making good decisions, right? So discomfort, 32% of responses. Specific financial needs, 32%. Um, also behavioral coaching. I will tell you the advisors of today and the future are going to be even more from the side of behavioral coaches. With the politics, the division in the country, the turmoil with the Fed raising rates, people are distressed overall. Inflation, you are, and we have always been emotional coaches, you will also be a wealth coach. You will also be forging the connect between health and wealth. And there are a lot of metrics out right now used by financial advisors to help you plan for illnesses and issues. Like, for example, I do encourage people to do or clients to do 23andMe. Why? Especially for if they have a, uh, a tendency to have certain illnesses, especially dementia, Alzheimer's, which can really exhaust savings quite a bit because you could be physically healthy for years, but obviously need a, to be in a facility that will take care of you. These are not cheap ways to go. So people need planning. So I think financial advisors are very in tune to the role emotions play in this process, especially when it comes to markets. Lance talks about this a lot. We are primal. When it comes to markets, we, our emotions override our decisions because I get it in the short term. Stocks are stories. Stocks are narratives, right? When, when, when your broker used to call you years ago, he's not talking about the numbers of a company. He's talking about the products and how they sell and what they do to get you all emotionally involved, engaged, you know, you're emotionally connected. So that. That is something that we help people to do. And that's what a good advisor does. They're addressing emotions right from the start. But there are specific issues that most people will have. But then there are people who avoid financial advisors like they avoid going to the doctor. We're going to talk about that when we return here on Financial Fitness Friday, 700 KSCB. Stay tuned. <laughs> The Real Investment Show. Listen, you want to be up on your finances? You go to realinvestmentadvice.com and you go ahead and you sign up for Lance Roberts' newsletter in your inbox on Saturday. You could almost hear him cursing when he's writing it on Friday. Why is this Rosso bothering me? It's called love. It's called love. <clears throat> but a lot of information, a lot of videos before the bell, a lot of great writings, Michael Leibowitz. We do a lot of great presentations through the year. Candid Coffees on Saturdays. We have one coming up in July with the Lance Roberts. Sort of a, you know, year end, not year end, middle of the year kind of. How's the market doing? What are the macro conditions that you need to be concerned with? So that'll be happening in July. You sit in on a Saturday morning before you start your day and you will get a heck a lot of information needed to go ahead and make good decisions. 
you got to keep in mind that we are fiduciaries. And you hear this F word thrown around a lot. Because, and I think a lot of people take it for granted, but what a fiduciary is designed to do is put you above your interests above everything else. That's the freedom that fiduciaries have. They don't work for big brokerage firms, which they have the agenda of the brokerage firm and most likely will sell you product. Doesn't mean that they don't have good intentions to help you, but they also have other things that they have to be masters to. Um, and there are things that fiduciaries do. We, they are only, their allegiance is to you. So this study, this uh, 3,003 3, respondents who answered one of these three surveys, um, only 623, or about 21% report that they currently work with a financial advisor. In the U.S., about 33% of Americans reported working with an advisor, but 62% reported needing to improve their financial planning. I like that, John. It's not there. They need to figure out what stock to buy or what's the coolest AI thing stock to buy that has no earnings. But there are people who would benefit from a holistic view of their finances. Yeah, where are we? You know, how realistic is it that I can but, slow down? But think about know. how many people are also in denial. That's it too. Of their financial situation. Mm -hmm. And they don't really understand what the deal is uh, because they don't want to know. Well, maybe they feel like there is something wrong. I, I, I have people that won't go for physicals every year or go to the doctor because they go, you know, best I not know. I, I'm, not, I'm not attuned to that. <laughs> I would rather know and try to find a way to fight it or take care of myself. I understand it's, sometimes it's not good news, but I'd rather know it than not know it. And I think what a good fiduciary or financial partner does is they're not – they're not here to knock you down. They're here to coach you into making just better decisions and understanding you've been trained by Wall Street and, and financial media to think that everything, you got to have this perfect kind of retirement. You know, you're going to sit in, on a beach in Aruba with your little pineapple. You do, it doesn't have to be that way. And it, and it may not be something you want to be. So I think if you have a good financial advisor, you're willing to share that and that person is going to coach you, create an action plan to get you in much better shape. So you mentioned the word fiduciary. This actually came up in a conversation earlier this week with me where, uh, where the question was, so John, you know, your firm and your certified financial planner, Rich, I know you're a certified financial planner. We all are. I mean, all the advisors here are. Brent's just certified. Brent's all, <laughs> Brent is certified He's in certifiable. all things. Yes, certifiable, yes. I gave Brent his, his breakfast this morning, a piece of chocolate. One piece? Yeah, just one piece. Wow. She got me on a diet. Yeah, I got one a piece. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but the, the question yeah. was, John, are you going to be a fiduciary for just what we are working on together, or are you a fiduciary for all things for me financial? Mm -hmm. Good that was question. a great question. That was a great question. And that was a question that I have never received. And I said... I, I haven't gotten it, but I it said, makes a lot of sense. I said, we are fiduciaries. I am a fiduciary for all things for you. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if it's something that we're working on together or if it's some other facet of your life. I'm a fiduciary, first and foremost. I have to tell you, sometimes you make tough decisions as a fiduciary, especially when there are family dynamics and there are children that you know that are tapping mama and papa's wallet 
when they shouldn't be at 45 years old uh, and putting someone in financial jeopardy in retirement. And parents have a tough time with the word no. I, for one, it's my favorite word. Don't worry. Let me call them. (laughs) I am happy to be the bad guy for you because we cannot jeopardize it. And studies show you have more and more families, mom and dads, that are jeopardizing their own retirement to still pay for their adult children. So you were talking about, excuse me, you know, the different hats or the different roles that Mm -hmm. a financial advisor can fulfill. Because I know so much of our weeks, yes, we're we're talking about, you know, the markets and how, you know, your portfolio is positioned and just our thoughts on the market, but there's so much and that's very important, but there's so much more around that. So much more emotion and life and how this all comes together. And part of that role that I find myself in too at times is being that buffer or that intermediary between mom and dad and son and daughter and how to facilitate mm-hmm. those conversations. Absolutely. Right? And it, it's a nuance just from knowing the family. Um, so that's important. So you want to work with an advisor, that's fine. But understand you're in the minority, obviously. And I understand because it is when you go for or do a full financial plan, it's like going for a full blood diagnostic. Financial blood diagnostic, you're going to know where the good points are and the bad points are and where those pain points need to be changed. They're there to help. Someone asked about, hey, what prevents people from reaching their goals? Well, um, first of all, I will tell you, we do, when we talk about raising money smart kids, is the lack of delayed gratification. Studies will show that if you can delay gratification, and in the form of that financial rule is pay yourself first, you have a better chance of being successful in many ways. All this fear missing out, got to live for today, all this other stuff that we're really good at in America and consumers uh, because we'll put everything on credit and worry about it tomorrow. That lack, that, that rule being broken is what will create that financial hardship. It will, you will not manage debt properly. You will not pay yourself first, putting a certain percentage of your paycheck into your retirement account, an emerging savings vehicle. You know, the ability to be disciplined and delay gratification shows that even from studies in the 70s, they tracked those kids called the marshmallow experiment for decades and showed that the ones who did wait for their treats were the ones who were more successful. And I, and I tried to instill that in my daughter, and she's actually, she's too much delayed gratification. She's very, very, very disciplined, but I'd rather have her that way than all over the board. Oh, sure. Right? So the lack of the, the immediate gratification issue, emotions. Lance talked about this earlier this week. What an enemy to not just your portfolio, but your money decisions in general. I, uh, you letting your emotions run wild and making bad decisions um, is not going to work for you to hit your financial plan. So I, I hear this a lot when folks are, I mean, a lot of our time during the week is spent working and serving and, and being there for, for our existing clients. But mm-hmm. there are a number of conversations that we have where folks are, you know, kind of in the process of visiting with firms and trying to find a good fit for an advisor and, you know, make sure there's imagined philosophies and such. And, you know, a lot of times, at least in my experience, when folks are reaching out to us, it's not necessarily about performance. It's, John, when I talk with my advisor, 
I constantly are repeating my same concerns over and over again, and I get the same answer every single time. My advisor is not listening to me. Mm-hmm. I feel you know it's very it's it's it goes it's very deep what they're looking for in a relationship with somebody that they can trust, right? At least that's that's what I see as a common theme. It's not always about the performance. It's hey, if if I want to talk, I want to go through these decisions because they are very emotional. But that's how we're wired as people. I mean, this you know, dealing with money is very emotional. Yes, it is. Um, it's very emotional, and you've got to take it out. You've got to have rules. If you don't have rules, you don't have anything. But that comes with that's you got to have rules. We have what we call. If you go to Real Investment Advice, type into the search box, financial guardrails. We will give you guardrails, lessons we have learned from the wealthiest of clients on how they handle money throughout their years, how much they put down on mortgages, how much do they have that they put towards discretionary spending. These are rules. Read The Millionaire Next Door, one of the best books ever. You can go to our site, go to financial. We have great financial survival guides. But you go down and you scroll down, there's a wealth potential test that you can take for free on our site. That wealth potential test is going to give you the metric to understand if you have those tenets, if you're following those rules. Gordon says you have a really good face for radio, John. Really? Yeah. Well, I appreciate that comment. Thank you. But you got a really big fan there. It says, oh my gosh, you're a hunk. Okay. Um, well, that's what, not what exactly oh, that. That's good, not exactly okay. what he said. Nice talking to you, everybody. Yeah. Cosmetics. Well, there's no cosmetics on this show. No. There's no makeup here, everybody. Just just a lot of coffee. Just a lot of coffee. And one piece of chocolate for bread. One piece of chocolate for bread. No, dark chocolate only because it's very healthy for you. Any you cosmetics, we fix it in post. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. So um, somebody talked about, and Lance brought this up about bonds. And people don't understand bonds. There's a great piece Lance wrote about this we're going to talk about when we get back. Bonds can be a very important part of your portfolio, Mm -hmm. even though you might not like them and they're not exciting. Why does your portfolio have to be so exciting? That's another problem we have. Money is supposed to be boring, like Lance says. Boring wins the game. Slow and steady wins the race. We'll be right back. Here on Financial Fit. It's Friday here on 700 KSCV, Voice of Texas. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. So if you have a question, go to our YouTube channel or go ahead and call us at 281-558-5738. We're happy to address your finance question. Bonds are a popular topic only because people are trying to figure out how they fit in. Yesterday, I did an interview. I can't remember what magazine it was, Fortune, Forbes, or whatever. And it was talking about bonds. And Lance is a bond expert. Michael, we, we, we have to place bonds. We feel the importance of placing bonds in portfolios. But one thing I said yesterday was there are two things that are a big danger for you when you're investing in bonds. One is your reinvestment risk. And two, coupled with that, is being seduced by yield. Yes, on the short end for T-bills, I am getting great rates, right? I can get a brokered CD, go to your, your, your brokerage firm, get a CD, FDIC insured from all these banks across the country, 
you're going to get, you want to go out a year, 5.3%, mm-hmm. right? These are better yields than we've had in a long time. So I'm like sort of a kid in a candy store with this stuff. But I also understand I want to skate where the puck is going. And based on demographics, based on economic growth, based on the debt we've taken on this country, rates can only go so far. So why wouldn't I barbell this strategy? <clears throat> why wouldn't I have money on the short end, but also put some more money on the intermediate and long end of the curve? So yesterday a client said, Rich, I don't understand this. <clears throat> the yields are less on the intermediate and long end. Why are you guys buying it? It's not for the yield. The Fed does not drive those yields. The overall state of the global economy will drive those yields. So if I think that economic growth is going to slow down, and I understand the debt service in this country is atrocious, talk about why financial plans fail. I want some money on the long end of the curve for capital appreciation. Unless you think, you know, the economy is just going to take off and it's going to be gangbusters and, you know, things are great. It's just not that way. <clears throat> with the debt we've taken on, it's like you running in a Texas August with a thousand pounds on your back. You're only going to make it so far. So you take some part of your money and you go on the short end of the curve. Nothing wrong with that. You've got the yields, park the money there, right? We, Danny and I on the show, John, you too, we've been talking about at least having a year's worth of living expenses and something we call the financial vulnerability cushion, Mm -hmm. especially as the economy gets worse. We started talking about this before COVID, but six months, yeah, the air conditioner breaks down, the car needs work, whatever it is. But another six months in case somebody loses a job, which very well could happen if the Fed keeps going. So one year in an online account, online FDIC-insured savings account. Those rates have always been better than brick-and-mortar banks, Synchrony, Ally, Marcus. And I can go ahead and get over 4% on my money. So, But outside of my financial vulnerability cushion, I can craft my bond portfolio and Lance does a really good job monitoring the yield curve. So if you want to understand how to implement that, you just read his newsletter too, or we will be happy to help you with it as well. But people are having a hard time with the intermediate and long end of the curve, John, because well, they don't understand why we would own that. Why would you own that when you can get 5% plus on the short end? Because as a financial advisor and money manager, we have to look forward. We just can't look to today. We make a financial decision in a portfolio. It's not for the next week. Yes, we, if things go up, we'll trim it, right? We, we manage risk, but <clears throat> we're investors. We're not traders. So we're going to hold something for three to five years unless conditions change. And we, are, we, are, we believe that this path is of slow growth, and that rates will align. And, and when there's a flight to quality, I know we look dysfunctional to each other, but we're still the cleanest, dirty shirt in the world. Money goes into treasuries. What do you think? It's funny because uh, <laughs> I have a client who's a farmer, and literally about three weeks ago, he's like, we're the cleanest pig in the pen, John. And I said, I'm going to use that. <laughs> and you just gonna, did. And I'm going to use it again. Uh, but, um, you know, it, it's such great points, Rich. You know, I... 
I've had, there's been a number of folks that have said, you know, why wouldn't I just, John, why wouldn't I just put all my money in a one-year, six-month or one-year treasury? And I, right we get now? it, right? You get hey, nice, we, best yields you've had in a long time. For some of your money, absolutely. For you outside of the outside of that vulnerability cushion, I can't talk. You know, for some extra money outside of your emergency funds, absolutely. Hey, take advantage of these higher yields. But if you put, if you're just like, well, I'm just going to put all my money in that six-month or one year. You know, right now we don't think the Fed's going to be lowering rates. But do you think maybe a year from now, two years from now, that rates will still be this high? Mm. So what if you, that's that reinvestment risk. If you put everything into a six-month, one year, then it matures, and maybe you've got lower rates. Now what are you going to do? Exactly. Right? Now, now, this has taken a bit longer than we expected. Absolutely. Because of all the massive stimulus, and again, I do think that our brains were sort of rewired being locked up for two years. One of the worst decisions in my lifetime that I've seen. I don't know about you, John, but the whole response to COVID was was shameful so who knows you know people want to spend even more if you had some capacity to live for today you are really living for today and you're spending money you don't have and i don't know how long that euphoria lasts before reality hits so it's taking a bit longer to get to where we want to go but that doesn't mean that we're not going to get there but i want my money now rich I want it now. You know, it, it's, JG Penn. Yeah, I want it now. It's, uh, you know, it's, so you're talking about the long end of the curve. Way, and what, what Rich is talking about there on the long end of the curve are bonds that have a longer lifespan. You know, 20-year bonds, 30-year bonds. You know, yields, a fancy way of saying yield, uh, interest rates or yields. Yields, interest rates out there on the long end of the curve. Mm-hmm. Like Rich mentioned. <laughs> Those yields don't really adjust directly by what the Federal Reserve is doing. It's about where are we going, right? And we do think we'll be getting into a slower rate of growth environment. We think yields will eventually come down. Think about diving. What right? does a diver do on a board? Yeah. When they want to when they want to get that velocity to jump, are they doing it right from the beginning of the board at the end? So when so there's much more of an exacerbated move at the end of the board. You right. want to walk the plank, that end of the plank is a lot shakier. That is not affected by the Fed. Exactly. That's affected by the economy and inflation. So you got to look at the longer-term match core trends to figure out why you would own that here. Again, unless you're in the camp that we're into a whole new growth cycle, <clears throat> all the debt we've taken on means nothing, everybody is financially literate, and we're all going to sing kumbaya later after the show. That's just not the – that's just not – I mean, just look at demographics – Nobody wants to have babies anymore, and that's crucial to economic growth, right? Because the world's going to end tomorrow thanks to Greta. Like, you know, Greta, we're already past the time frame. You said we're supposed to be gone by now. We're still here. We're still here, Greta, torturing you. So you got to look as a financial advisor, and I don't think there's anybody better, and I know I'm, I'm biased, then Lance and Michael and our team to look at this, these numbers and crunch them objectively and try to give you the most realistic information out there. It's not bullish. It's not bearish. It's more of an eagle eye on this stuff. So you're going to have to have some of your portfolio. I would barbell it. If I were doing it myself, I'd be barbelling my, my bond money. And look to cues where the yields are over, overdone on one side or you know, higher or lower to add to that portfolio uh, component. That's what we do. Yeah. I mean, you've got some bond exposure for that income for the higher yield. 
but then you're using bonds also for not necessarily the yield or the income, but for growth opportunity, right? So mm -hmm. you're, you're marrying the two together. And you never know, once, once your short-term money comes due, maybe it's not gonna go to bonds. Maybe it will go to stocks, mm -hmm. right? We know seven stocks have driven the entire market this whole year, because it's all AI. I call it the Ricky Ricardo. Ay, 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 Lucy. I, terrible Ricky Ricardo impression. I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let you handle that next time, John. Yeah, you're, you're still better than okay. me. So you don't know when that money comes due, what it's gonna look like, but the odds are becoming more out of your favor that yields are gonna be higher in a year from now than not, or two years from now mm -hmm. than not. So that's how you place insurance policy. If it's risk on, then you want bonds. When it's risk off, bonds are not are going to be boring, and they're just going to sit there, and you're going to collect check, you're going to collect the you're going to collect income from it. If it's an ETF, you maybe you get paid monthly. It's not exciting. It's not designed to be. Matter of fact, there are a lot of great stocks out there. Like we go through and we look at all these companies, great yields, great cash flows, but they don't have AI. Maybe it should be like Procter and Gamble AI. Maybe that'll do it. So <laughs> sooner or later, the breadth of the market, and we've hard to see that, is going to change. It's going to spread out. And there's nothing wrong with collecting dividend yields if you can find them. But they're not going to do what these AI stocks do. That's what diversification in your portfolio does. Every position has a job. They're not supposed to be all doing the same job because when they all break for lunch... Your portfolio breaks too. It right. It's all works different to create the the actual return you need to hit the financial goals you have in the future. We'll be right back here on 700 KCB, The Voice of Texas. Stay tuned. The Real Investment Show. <laughs> that bumper music was going to morph into the theme for Beretta. Keep your eye on the sparrow. Have, can y'all tell we've been here for almost two hours? It's like, this is way too much, man. <laughs> we love you, but it's time to go. Can we just play uh, Johnny Cash until eight? Ooh, I like Johnny Cash. Work. Oh, Johnny Cash will treat you right. Sure will. So you got a lot of good, you just got a pretty decent comment there on Yeah, the actually chat. some great comments coming through mm -hmm. on our uh, YouTube channel here. Mm -hmm. Kathy, great, great comment. You know, she made the comment, picking a financial advisor is just as important as picking your primary care physician. You have to go through a process to select your advisor. You really do. It's not only the skill and knowledge, but it's how they keep up with that skill. Like we are, I'm always learning. Like I'm going for a new certification. You have always, and, and uh, we learn every day. You have to continue to grow in that profession. Any certification you have is just a, is just a springboard. If you, you can get stale with what changes in this industry real fast. Oh, so, so if you quick. don't have a doctor that's keeping up with things, to your point, that is important. But you also have to have a philosophical link with that individual. Some people are great people, but they just don't have the chemistry to work well together. Sometimes, how many times do we meet with people going, you know what? We're just not a good fit for you. That's what a fiduciary can say. 
we'll help you, but it, you know, your philosophy and our philosophy on, on money and other things just does not gel. You're not going to be happy mm-hmm. with us. Yeah, and you know, there are a number of times where you know, it's important, just as you are looking for a, you know, a primary care physician or you're, you're in the search for somebody that's gonna help you with your finances, it's okay to visit with multiple firms to get an idea of what is their philosophy? Mm-hmm. Is there a good match? Because you, you know, you, like, like you said, Rich, you want, you, we, just as you, just as individuals and families are out there looking for an advisor for a good fit, well, the advisor's looking for clients to be, individuals to be a good fit too. We want there to be a good match in philosophy, right? Because you want the client to be happy. Yes. And, and, and that when you, when you both speak to each other, there's a resonance. You, you get, you're on the same vibe. Like if you have a cl- if you if you're sort of haphazard with money and you want to be in all the t- hot AI stocks, there's a place for you somewhere, right? But we're risk managers. We're looking at your overall risk in everything, so that's not going to be something we're going to do. Yeah, and, and that's I, okay. It's not an indictment against your philosophy. It's just that we just don't meld with it. Absolutely. So it's okay. But two great books you brought up. That yeah. Brought so up. Gary, thanks, Gary, and Kathy, thanks for tuning in this morning, Gary. Thank you for, for tuning in. I, yeah. know, I know Gary listens to us on a daily, yeah. regular basis. Thank you, Gary. He, uh, he said, you know, uh, when he said, I told you I gave my son The Millionaire Next Door yep. and another book, The Wealthy Barber, when Always his son my favorite graduated too. from high school and it said it had an immediate impact. It, those two books are the great foundation for your kids. Matter of fact, for a lot of adults, um, at where my old firm, I used to give out copies of The Wealthy Barber in the beginning when I started because to me, it made such an impact. Um, talking about just the overall, it's, it's a very holistic book. See, two of these books, when you read about money, everybody wants to read about the stocks and you know, the greatest, you know, how to get rich in a, in a day, but you gotta look at books that are gonna give you holistic ways of building wealth, working on your brain as well as your wallet. Millionaire Next Door and The Wealthy Barber will do that. Wealthy Barber talks a lot about insurance as well and risk mitigation. These are important concepts. One of, one of the children of the cl- of client I work with, I recommended those two books mm-hmm. along with some others. So those are, um, you know, those should be anchors in your portfolio, uh, your book portfolio when you're starting out. And matter of fact, I think some people can still get the benefit from The Millionaire Next Door. And there have been revisions to it. They have, they, that book does get revised. And the message is still important. Okay, the person who's driving around in the Ferrari and gets out and has the Rolex and all that is probably the one, one of the most broke people you've ever met. Not that there aren't very wealthy people who do that, but people who are very, you know, The Millionaire Next Door talks about, again, how many times when we worked, and John and I worked together mm-hmm. at the former firm, mm-hmm. former firm <coughs> you'd have people come in and they were, you know, remember one farmer dressed in his overalls coming in and he sat with me and he had more money than, Do, don't, don't, don't go ever by judge how a book dress. by its cover. Never. Oh my gosh. Don't ever. I have a client that went on a Mercedes car lot here in town and couldn't get the time of day. Because of how they dressed. Now, they weren't dressed slovenly. They just weren't dressed like maybe they're used to. And I'm like, 
You salesmen are crazy. So there was a gentleman. Don't judge a book by its cover. And they, they, they got turned off. They left. Yeah. You know, they were buyers and they said, we're not buying here to themselves and walked off. Uh, at our former firm where mm-hmm. you and I used to work together, there was a day where a gentleman, he would take the bus. <laughs> he would ride his bike oh. up and down Westheimer. I, remember, I think I remember that guy. Yeah. And he yep. would, he would load it on the public transportation, the mm-hmm. Houston Metro. He would take the bus everywhere. Mm-hmm. And he came walking in and wanted to talk a little bit about investing. And you, I mean, you would have thought this guy didn't have a penny to his name. And he pulled out a check with over eight figures on it. <laughs> and it's like, well, you can probably go buy all the buses you need. <laughs> it's like, go for it, man. I mean, don't, it's just, it was amazing. I, I have frankly have never understood that impression of money based on how somebody dresses absolutely i i just i've never gotten that like a good fiduciary is just going to talk to you and figure out what you need not really looking at how you look or what kind what your haircut looks like or anything like that and it is amazing and the millionaire next door will go through that how millionaires spend money they don't want flashy cars right they're not going to get a top-of-the-line suit. You know what I tell people a lot of times? I tell the younger kids, think in the middle. Think the middle when it comes to when you want to spend. I don't want the highest-priced item. And I may not want the cheapest. But is there a brand in the middle that is dependable and will do what I need? Like I always fit, and I'm not an endorser for the product, but I always fit Toyota into that space. I don't need a Mercedes. I don't need to understand the cost of maintaining that particular vehicle. Nothing against if you drive a Mercedes. It's just not my thing where I look at how much money I'm losing by driving it. That's just my mindset. Like my money mindset goes there versus, oh, people are going to be looking at me because I have a BMW and all that stuff. Toyota is going to be where I would say, like, like I got a call from a client. What should I recommend? What should I look for my daughter? I said, look at a Camry. Look at a, you know, a used RAV4, something dependable. And that's what he did. It's about setting up that behavior. I mean, really, anybody at any age can probably benefit from those, right? But if, you know, especially, you know, Gary, to, you know, tip my hat to you for giving that to your your son at at a very young age and just, you know, getting their mind right around this because, look. It would be important to understand there when they read them. What highlights they pulled from those books, Gary? Like what, what really resonated with them that might set them on a really great course? Uh, so that, but I do, I do commend you for those two books. They're two of my favorites. Yeah, because I mean, just look at the, I mean, look at the world that we're in. I mean, I mean, we're bombarded by news. What twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, and it's all the hype and uh, absolutely. Oh my gosh, get rich quick! And this, you put your money in this, you can get a 50 percent return. And I mean, it's just like, wait a minute, how how do you really? Because you mentioned it earlier, Rich, and you hit it right on the head. It's it's not a sprint. It's really a more of a steady race, a steady pace over time, and you got to set up that behavior. But it, we all get pulled into this euphoria that's around us. So it's it's good to be. Grounded. It's all headline driven. It is. It's not this different from the mainstream media than financial media. Yeah. Right. It's all headline driven. We try to make sure you're getting substance on the show. But and I, again, I'm a fan of. I, I watch CNBC. Oh, sure. I watch Fox Business. I want to understand exactly where they're going. And generally speaking, and and Lance is always on with Charles Payne at Fox Business, and and they do a great job. The 
and I think that certain shows do a really good job providing information as opposed to hype. But the issue is when they start talking about specific stock recommendations and stuff, you, you can't look at that and say, that's how I'm going to invest my money. I, I, I'm not going to look at, oh, they told me I should go into NVIDIA, so I got to do that. I mean, there are people will, that will invest just based on a recommendation. And then the, they, if they do the disclosure at the bottom of the screen. This person does have no, has zero interest in, in, in NVIDIA. Like, they don't own it. Yeah, and the disclosure like is usually some, so small you can't see it anyway. I, I would rather have someone at least talk up their book because at least I know their money is backing them up. If I don't even have skin in the game, you're giving me a recommendation. Well, now, may I take that recommendation and do homework? Maybe talk to my financial advisor? Perfectly acceptable. But to go ahead and commit my funds to someone that brought this up on, on TV and doesn't have an interest in it, no, not doing that. Not happening. And I think we're done. I think Financial Fitness Friday is history. Looks like we'll be back on Monday. I, guess, I think Chris is back on Monday as well here on 700 KSCB. We'll hear Chris Salcedo at 8 o'clock. All right, everyone, have a great weekend. Thanks for tuning in. 